Okay, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, today in our Bible History Project, we're going to take a little break from the book of Numbers and focus our attention on some questions that were given that we need to address because it pertains to the registration of the assembly. As you all probably know by now, we are registered as the assembly of Yahushua. We are now a legal entity, a registered a religious organization, and so we fully are able to function as a religion. Praises be to our loving Abba. Now, concerning the registration of the assembly of Yahusha, there were several questions that were posed. We'll go ahead and go through all of them today, and if you have other questions, you can continue to give them to us, and we'll address them next time. However, let's go to the first question, dear Brother Dizon. I hope all is well with you and your family. I watched a Bible study recently where you announced the registration of Assembly of Yahusha. Please forgive me if I misunderstood, but I was disturbed when you mentioned you registered the church under the name Assembly of Yahusha. Shouldn't the name of the church be registered as Church of Yahusha instead? Now, there were many other questions of this nature. You're asking why Assembly of Yahusha instead of Church of Yahushua, because a lot of us are fixated and are kind of stuck in using the term church. And so we would prefer church of something rather than assembly of someone, right? And so we need to answer the question, why did we choose assembly instead of church? Assembly of Yahushua rather than church of Yahushua. Let's begin by asking the question, when Yahushua HaMashiach was here on earth, he said he was going to build his, what does it say? Church, let's take a look at that passage in the book of Matthew 16, verse 18. And so I tell you, Peter, you are a rock. And on this rock foundation, I will build my church. And not even death will ever be able to overcome it. We want to be a part of that church, don't we not? We want to be amongst those whom Yahushua has built for himself. Now, when Yahushua said, I will build my church did he say that originally in english what is your answer no it was a different language we don't know exactly what he used it could have been greek maybe aramaic maybe a mixture of both however what we can confirm is it is not english many of the new testament manuscripts are found in greek some in aramaic and so in Matthew 16, 18, when Yahushua says, I will build my church, what Greek word was used? Let's read here in the uh, Matthew 16, 18 verse in the blue letter uh, Bible, which shows you the Greek word. What is the Greek word used for church? It's the Greek word 1577. And it says what? Ecclesia right? Or ecclesia, ecclesia. And so in Matthew 16, 18, when Yahushua said, I will build my church, he used the Greek word ecclesia. How about in Acts 20, 28? Let's read Acts 20, 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to, feed, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood in the new king james version it mentions the church it says church of god but we know it's church of 
Christ because it was purchased by his blood. Nevertheless, let's take a look at the Greek translation or the Greek word used there that was translated in English as church. Again, it's the Greek word 1577. What is it again? Ecclesia. So the church, when Yahushua said, I will build my church, the one purchased by his blood, it is Ecclesia. How about the church preached by the apostles? In Romans 16, 16, our favorite passage in all of scripture, right? Greet one another with the holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So the church that was preached by the apostles, what Greek word was used that was translated church? Again, it is ekklesia, the Greek word, the Greek word 1577. Well, how about the church that received a personal message from Yahusha when he was in heaven? Revelation 120, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Here, what we find is the apostle John, and he bears a special message from Yahusha, our king, when he was in heaven, right? These are the messages of Yahusha to the seven churches. The church mentioned there, the word church, in Greek, again, what does it say? It is ekklesia. And so when Yahusha said I, said, I will build my church, and the church that was purchased with his blood, the church that was preached by the apostles, the churches that received the special message from Yahuwah, all came from the Greek word ekklesia. So we need to know what the meaning of the word ecclesia is. And so let's turn to the strong and the Thayer's uh, definitions in the strong. It means a calling out or assembly. You know what is that? And a secondary functional word, church. But first and foremost, it says what? Assembly. The Thayer's lexicon, it is specifically stated on assembly. A gathering of citizens or people, an assembly of the people, an assembly of the Israelites. And so the word ecclesia that Yahusha and the apostles used means assembly. When we think of assembly, we think of people because that's what the church is. It is the ecclesia or a collection of people who were called out by Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach. Well, why is it translated in many English words or in many English translations as church, right? If you go to the TEV, New King James, the King James, when you go to an English translation today, what word do you find? You find the word church, not assembly, but church. Why is that? In this magazine called Gospel Advocate, page 589, the word church is really not a translation of any word that was used by either Christ or his apostles. Remember, the word they use is ecclesia. During the first century, the word ecclesia had nothing to do with the word church. They were two different meanings. This is why the author says the word church is really not a translation of any word that was used by either Christ or his apostles, but it's the Anglican form of a different word, which Roman Catholicism 
substituted in place of the word used by Christ and his apostles. It is in our English scriptures by order of King James, who instructed his translators of 1611 not to translate the word ecclesia by either congregation or assembly, but to use the word church instead of a translation. So why do we find in our English versions of the Bible the word church rather than assembly for the word ecclesia by order of King James. That's why in 1611, the translation of the English Bibles, there was an instruction from the king. And the instruction says to keep the word church instead of translating ecclesia by any other translation. Do not do that. Do not translate to congregation or to assembly, but keep the word church. There has to be a reason behind that. What could that be? Well, who were the first ones who began to associate the word church with ecclesia? Let's find out in the history of the Christian church. The first traces of special houses of worship occur in Tertullian, who speaks of going to church. And in his contemporary, Clement of Alexandria, who mentions the double meaning of the word ecclesia. About the year 230, Alexander Severus granted the Christians the right to a place in Rome. After the middle of the third century, the building of churches began in great earnest. So when did this association between the term church and ecclesia start? The church fathers, the Catholic fathers. And so in the third century, what did they begin to do with the word church? They began to incorporate that word with the word ecclesia. Take note, in the days of Yahushua, in the days of the apostles, the word ecclesia had nothing to do with the word church. It was only during the third century, led by Catholic apologists, that they began to associate the word church to ecclesia. Why the word church? Because if it's association with a place of worship, in other words, the emphasis began to shift to the building. Because remember, Christianity, after the persecution, became the national religion of what empire? The Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire loved to build temples. They built pagan temples. And so when they adopted the Christian religion, what did they decide to do? They wanted to use now the word church and equate it with temple. But that idea that the word ecclesia is in connection with a physical building that was not founded by Yahusha and by the apostles. It started during the reign of the Roman Empire. And so Constantine, what did he strive to do when he adopted Christianity as the state religion? History of Christian Church, Volume 2, Constantine from 312 AD until his death in 337, was engaged in the process of simultaneously building pagan temples and Christian churches, and was slowly turning over the reins of his pagan priesthood to the Bishop of Rome. And so Constantine, using his influence, he fused together pagan temples and Christian churches. And so the buildings 
of, of pagan temples and the buildings of Christian churches became synonymous. There was a transference, a syncretization of the ideas of uh, pagan Rome with the ideas of Christianity. The marriage of pagan ideas and pagan religions with Christianity resulted in the Catholic Church. This is why the Catholic Church is known for its cathedrals and big temples. These building projects headed by the Catholic Church emphasize the word church. Why? Because it denoted buildings, physical buildings. Ecclesia emphasized the people, the living stones, not the physical buildings themselves. However, after the Reformation, because we know that because of the abuses of the Catholic Church, for example, when they capitalize on the word church so that they can get money from their members to build the basilica, for example, somebody got upset. His name was Martin Luther because they were using the name church to get money to build uh, houses of worship and great cathedrals. And so he started the Reformation, right? However, during the Reformation, what also happened, let's read from Christ, this, this book entitled Crisis Ecclesia and the Church Compared. In 325 AD, the church joined the state under Constantine, and it was carried through the Reformation. The reformers were all involved in civil government, such as John Calvin, who set, set up the civil government in Geneva. The Pope was the head of the Catholic Church and was kicked out of England, and King Henry VIII took jurisdiction over the church. And then when the King James Version was done, it was very important to them to retain the word church because they had jurisdiction over it. So King James made 15 specific edicts, instructions, orders, as far as the translation goes. And one of those edicts, edict number three, stated that this Bible was to retain the word church in the translation and was not to be replaced with the word congregation. That was his specific edict. He has no jurisdiction over the congregation, the people, but he does have over the church physical buildings. So you can see he never wanted the word assembly associated with the original meaning of the Old Testament, which meant congregation. So he knew, he knew the correct translation, obviously, but he didn't want it in there because they want to remain control over the church. So even after the Reformation, the word church kind of remained. What was the edict that was given by King James to keep the word church rather than to give it its correct translation? So they knew the correct translation. What was the correct translation? Assembly or congregation, but so that they can control the church. What did they say? Let us keep the word church. This is why even today, we have the word church in our English Bibles, even though the correct translation, and this is not even debatable, the correct translation is assembly or congregation. So the English word assembly emphasizes what? The people. That was the original idea contained in the word ecclesia, not the building but the people. But church, the term church, emphasizes the worship building. The word ecclesia is used by King Yahusha, and the apostles specified the people, living stones, 
and not the worship building. Thus, the correct tra English translation of ecclesia is not church, but what? Assembly. assembly. This is why even today, when we look at the definition of the word church, for example, you know what entry number one is in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary? This is what it says. It says a building for public and especially Christian worship. Even by today's definition, when you use the word church, what does it denote? denote? It is a building for public or a public place, especially for Christian worship. This is why the word church refers mostly to the building. But the word assembly refers to the people. This is why the more appropriate and precise translation into English of the word ecclesia is not church, but the word assembly. And it turns out that, you know, language is very dynamic. It's always changing, right? And in 1828, the Webster's definition of church is this. Because this is today's definition of church, right? But in 1828, it's just kind of funny. It says church. And when you look at the origin of the word, it's from the Anglo-Saxon Anglo word, sirke. You notice that? Sirke, right? And so the etymology of the word church in English is from the Anglo-Saxon word, sirke. And if we look at the online etymology dictionary, church, it says Old English, Sirike, sirike or sirke, right? And so sirke is the origin of the word church. That's interesting, right? And according to the Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, the etymology of this word, the word church, is generally assumed to be from the Greek kurios, oikos, house of God. But this is most improbable as the word existed in all Celtic dialects long before the introduction of the Greek. No doubt the word means a circle, the place of worship among the Germans and Celtic nations were always circular. Compare Anglo-Saxon circle, a church, with circle, circle. And so according to uh, Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, the word church comes from the Anglo-Saxon circle and is related with pagan worship that involves circles. You see, pagan people, when they gather for worship, they met together to form a circle. And so we can see this association with the word church and circle, especially cirque, C-I-R-C-E. Do you know what cirque means besides church? You know what the pagan origin of the word cirque is from Britannica Encyclopedia, cirque in Greek legend, a sorceress, the daughter of Helios, the sun god and of the ocean nymph, Percy. She was able, by means of drugs and incantations, to change humans into wolves, lions, and swine. So we can see the pagan origin of the word church. It comes from Sirke. Sirke, in Greek legend, was a daughter of a sun god, Helios. Interesting, because we know that the Catholic Church popularized a birthday of the Son of God, right? What is the birthday of the Son of God, supposedly, as popularized by the Catholic Church? December 25. December 25 happens to be the birthday of their Son, God. And here we have Sirke 
who is the daughter of the sun god Helios. In Rome, it was uh, Re, the sun god. And so they're all related somehow. And the word church comes from Sirke, which has a pagan origin. That's another reason why we chose to use assembly, because we're going to associate assembly with what name? The name that is above every other name. Why would we want to associate the name that is above every other name with church or sirke when it would be better if it was assembly? And so, brethren, to emphasize the people and not the building, it would be better to use the more accurate and precise translation of ecclesia, which is assembly. That's why we chose to name it assembly of Yahushua, not church of Yahushua. Of course, we are not against people using the word church because like what we said, languages, they evolve. Language is dynamic. It changes over time. Nevertheless, when we associate a name with the purest name of all, the name that is given for our, for our salvation, I think it would be best to use a better word that means ecclesia, and that would be assembly. Hence, assembly of Yahusha and not church of Yahusha. Okay, that's question number one. Another question, doesn't the Bible teach that there are only three groups? Yes. By registering a church, aren't you creating a fourth group? That's a very valid question, right? Because it would seem that way. If we are registering as a church, aren't you creating a third group. Now, where do these three groups come from? It's from the prophecy in the book of Zechariah 13, 7 to 9. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares Yahuwah Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares Yahuwah, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say Yahuwah is our God. What we read is a prophecy about those who will belong to Yahushua. He is the shepherd mentioned here who is to be stricken by the sword. Yahushua has followers. Throughout the generation since the first century, there are three groups of people who were called to have fellowship with Yahushua. Who were the first two groups? The Jews and the Gentiles who were called the first century. But we know what happened to that church. We know what happened to that assembly. Bible says that two-thirds will be struck down and perish. This was the apostasy. However, there's another group, a third group. And this third group will also belong to the land or to the field or to the assembly of Yahushua. Now, how was that fulfilled? This formation of the third group, because it mentioned in Zechariah about the third group that will be left in it, right? How was that formed? Isaiah 43, 5 to 6, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And so how did the third group begin to gather and form? Yahuwah will bring them together beginning in the far east. 
and they will be gathered again in the far west. When will this gathering and bringing together of the sons and daughters of God take place? A time called ends of the earth. We have a date for that. What is that date? 1914. So in 1914, the bringing together of the third group was fulfilled. However, what will happen to the third group according to the prophecy? Let's go back to Zechariah 13 verse 9. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. They will say Yahuwah is our God. And so after the formation of the third group, there's something that's going to happen to them, right? According to the prophecy, what will happen to the third group? They will be brought into the fire. What does that mean? They will be tested. The same way silver and gold is refined and tested. In other words, it's going to be intense. You know, when gold ore is tested, do you know how much gold comes out after it goes through the fire? Because remember, the third group is going to go through the fire. When gold ore goes through the fire, how much of the gold actually comes out? Well, from goldrushnuggets.com, how much gold is there in gold ore? Using this hypothetical value of one ounce per ton, each pound of ore would contain approximately, oh my goodness, 0. 0.0005 ounces of gold. Now let's assume that gold is valued at $1,500 per ounce. That would make the gold in, in a one pound ore sample approximately 75 cents. And this is assuming that the ore is extremely rich. And so if you get gold ore, you take it to the fire, right? So that you can get the actual gold. How much gold is really, how much gold is left? How much gold is in there? 0. 0.0005 ounces of gold. Can you imagine it? How, what's the percentage of that? I can tell you this, it's a very, very, very small remnant, right? And so when you go through the fiery test, the same way gold is tested, you get a smaller result, right? You get a remnant. This is why after the test, it's not going to get bigger. It's going to get what? Smaller. You see, Yahuwah and Yahusha, they take the people that belong to God and they take them to a refinement process, a testing of fire. Who also spoke about this? The book of Matthew 3, 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance. Want to pause there for a while? Who is the one who's speaking here? John the Baptist. And he was speaking about Yahushua. What did he say about Yahushua? He says, but after me, will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. So when it comes to the refinement process, to what is it also likened to? It is likened to a threshing floor. The work of winnowing, because Yahusha says, or John the Baptist says, Yahusha carries a winnowing fork in his hand. What does that mean? 
is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Have you ever seen stalks of wheat before? It looks something like this, right? The actual value of a stalk of wheat is the grain of wheat. But to, to get the grain of wheat, you have to separate it from the shaft, including the stalk. This is why Yahusha says, when they gather the wheat, which is likened to the people of God, and the tares likened to those who do not belong to God, but the wheat themselves, they go through a winnowing process. And after the winnowing process, the Bible says the wheat is taken into the barn. The shaft is going to be burnt up. This is why the people of God, are always going through a process of refinement. Why? Because refinement leads to perfection. And this is what Yahuwah God wants to bring his people to, towards perfection. We have not yet reached perfection. This is why we're not yet saved. This is why Yahushua hasn't come down yet. Because there's still some restoration to take place. We're still in the process of perfection, restoration. And so there's still refinement that needs to be done. And after refinement has taken place, like what Yahushua says, for many are called, but how many are chosen? Few. Do not be surprised that only a few are chosen. It has been declared from long ago, the pattern of only a remnant of those who are called are the ones who are going to remain. This is why when we go back to Zechariah 13.9, the third group, will go into the fire, what will be the result? A remnant, a remnant of that third group. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say Yahuwah is our God. So after the testing, what will happen to the third group? It will become a small remnant. How do we recognize a small remnant? They will call on the name of Yahuwah. This is why we're not surprised. After we left the institution, God has given us his name. Because this is our testimony. This is what will set us apart. The name that we will use to call upon our God. And we will proclaim Yahuwah is our God. However, it's not just that we will call upon Yahuwah, our God. What also is our hallmark as a people of God, the remnant of the third group. Let's go back to Isaiah 43, 5 to 7. Do not be afraid because I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Bring everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made so according to the prophecy as it unfolds what happens to it it becomes more and more refined it becomes more and more developed according to the unfolding of God's plan as mentioned in the prophecy and so we can say that the third group has a remnant. The remnant of the third group will be called by the name that Yahuwah God will create for his glory. What is that name, brothers and sisters? We talked about it before. What is that name? It is the name of Yahusha HaMashiach. Do we now bear that name? Absolutely. This is why 
when we became the assembly of Yahusha that was in fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 43, verse 7. But why do we need to register anyways when it was already registered back in 1914? Well, if you notice in the prophecy in Isaiah 43, 5 to 7, what is, there are three different works mentioned here. The work of God is to bring people together. You know, when God brings people together, it's because God has work for them to do, right? For example, when God fulfilled the first part of this prophecy to bring the people of God together in the East, did God have work for them to do? Yeah. This is why there was a need for them to register. And they registered as Iglesia Ni, Christo, Church of Christ in 1914, right? Why? Because they had to do work there in the Philippines. And that was in 1914. And after a while, the church expanded. It reached the far west. This is the second work of God, right? To bring people to the far west and beyond. Was that registered too? Yeah, 1968. You notice that was about 50 years later, right? How many years later was that? 1914, 68, 54, about 54 years later, right? And then from 1968 to 2020, how many years is that? 52, it's about the same, more or less, right? Seems like every 50 years, what is God doing? Is another work that he wants us to do. What is that? To bring everyone who is called by my name. And so if there was a registration in 1914 and in 1968, does it make sense? There's also going to be a registration in 2020. Why? Because we also have work to do. This is why our work involves registration. The assembly of Yahusha is not the fourth group, but the remnant of the third group who have been brought together by God in the name of Yahusha. Why do we need to register? To legally, honestly, and officially fulfill the religious works we have been appointed to do. Now, by registering the assembly of Yahusha, are we still connected with, or are we negating now the work of Brother Felix Faimanalo? What do you think? Are we negating the work of Brother Felix Faimanalo? No, but there's something I want to point out to you in the book of Isaiah 43, 5 to 7. 43, 5 to 7. Whose work is that, brothers and sisters? Whose work is that? The Bible says, do not be afraid because I am with you. I will bring your descendants. Who is the I there? It was Yahuwah. This is God's work. This is not Brother Felix Faimanalo's work. This is God's work using him as an instrument. And so in this work... We have a part in it. We're not negating the work of Brother Felix Manalo. We're not negating the work of Brother Iranya Manalo. What's the proof? When you look at verse 7, it says, bring everyone who is called by my name. The everyone mentioned there. Most of them, where did they come from? Where did they come from? Is it not from the work that started in 1968? And in 1914, right? And so we are the remnant. 
This is why the assembly of Yahusha as the remnant of the third group is the continuation of the work of God that began in 1914. This is why when you look at the structure of the prophecy, you can see that the registration of the assembly of Yahusha is part of the unfolding of the prophecy in the book of Isaiah, which speaks of the work of God in bringing people together to do work that glorifies him, okay? All right, so let's go to the next question. Why do you have a registration? Is your registry the book of life? Okay, last week we kind of mentioned uh, the registration, right? We even have a registration form. And so we asked the brethren if you want to register into the assembly of Yahusha. And so because of this, or some are asking, why do you have that? Why is that needed? Is the registry the book of life? And our answer to that question is, of course, the registry that we have in the assembly of Yahusha is not. <laughs> it's not the book of life. Meaning if you're not in this registry, we're not saying to you, you're not going to be saved. <laughs> we, that's not our job. Whose job is that? Who determines who's going to be saved or not? That's Yahuwah through Yahusha, right? That's not our business. Our business is to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim Yahuwah, to proclaim Yahusha. We're not going to say to you who's going to be saved. We're not going to tell you if you are registered here, you're going to be saved. We're not saying that. And what is the purpose of the registry? Why do we need to have it? Well, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 down to 4, I, who am an elder myself, appeal to the church elders among you. I am a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I will share in the glory that will be revealed. I appeal to you to be shepherds of the flock that God gave you and to take care of it willingly as God wants you to and not unwillingly. Do your work not for mere pay, but from a real desire to serve. Do not try to rule over those who have been put in your care, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the glorious crown, which will never lose its brightness. So why did we decide to have a registry or a registration of members so that we can best take care of them? Because what is the exhortation of the Apostle Peter? Being an elder of the church, he says to be shepherds of the flock. In other words, we need to do the work of shepherding the flock. Now, when you think of flock, it has what? Sheep, right? If you're shepherding the flock, what are you doing? You're numbering the sheep and taking care of them. This is why the Bible tells us if you have nine, 100 sheep in your flock, and you lose one, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look for that one who is lost. And so when it comes to shepherding a flock that have sheep, we need to make sure that everyone is accounted for. This is why when we have a registration, we are taking care of brethren that have been given to us to care for. And so when we have a registration, we know the people that God gave so that we can work together in fulfillment of this teaching of the Apostle Peter. And so how are we going to take care of the brethren? In the book of uh, Colossians 1, 28 to 29, so we preach Christ to everyone. And so this is the work of propagation. We're going to preach the words of God, the words of Christ. We're going to preach about Yahuwah and Yahusha to everyone. 
because we want to share the gospel and shine brightly before the whole world. However, we need to also focus on strengthening those who belong to Yahusha already, right? This is why with all possible wisdom, we warn and teach them in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature individual in union with Christ. To get this done, I toil and struggle using the mighty strength which Christ supplies and which is at work in me. And so we focus on building up the spiritual temple. Who are the living stones of the spiritual temple? Who are they? The individual members. And so we need to have this focus on the individual. Why? Because every individual needs to become mature in union with Christ. And we cannot do this unless we know the people who are in Christ or in Yahushua. And so the purpose of the registry, number one, to build a community of like-minded believers who will work together to fulfill God's purposes. Because it's nice to belong to a community, especially now when so many things are happening in the, in the world. Kind of nice to be able to have a network of people who think the same way that we do, right? Who work and believe in the same things that we believe in. That's number one. Number two, provide individual care via Bible-based coaching, advising, mentoring. Because the focus that Yahuwah God wants us to do is to focus on the individual. Not simply to proclaim, but to make sure every individual is built up. Every individual reaches the measure of the stature of Yahusha. HaMashiach. This is why we're going to be providing biblical coaching, advising, mentoring nowadays via Zoom. That's what we're using now, right? And so if you're in the registry, because we cannot provide counseling over Facebook, <laughs> cannot do that. You cannot practice individual care over Facebook. It has to be interactive. This is why uh, we will be able to provide that when we identify those who are going to be with us because we cannot possibly do this kind of work for every single person on Facebook. And number three, provide group coaching seminars through online interactive platforms. And this is really exciting because this gives us the opportunity, even though we're far apart from each other, we can have a group seminar or group, platform, uh, group uh, coaching or group counseling. We can be together via Zoom and we can interact with each other. Of course, we cannot do that through Facebook. And so we provide this for those who are in the registry. Why? So that we can make sure that those who belong to the assembly of Yahusha grow individually and build a community uh, together. And we're very excited about that. Can you imagine when we have the group sessions together, you'll be able to meet and develop bonds with brethren who are far away? right? Maybe from India or Japan or the Philippines, and we're all together in one room, and we're interacting with each other, learning from each other, sharing with each other, and receiving the blessing of Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach. That is wonderful. That's one way we can build community and strengthen our faith together. This is why we need the registry, okay? And so if you want to register, and we do, we do wish you will register, um, you can do so at our, through our new website, the assemblyofyahusha.org. So that's the, uh, the website name, assemblyofyahusha.org. 
when you go on to assemblyofyahusha.org, this is what you're going to see, the homepage, okay? And when you go to the bottom, when you go to the bottom of the homepage, you will see registration information. If you're from North America, United States, Canada, you can click on registry North America. But if you are from outside North America, like Philippines or Japan, you can click on registry international and that will take you to the registration page. And so the purpose of the registry is not so that we can say that this is the book of life. No, it's because we want to take care of you at an individual level so that we can all be strong in our faith, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. Sorry po, Kajan, nakita ko lang po yung post na yan. There was a post apparently. And our brother from Australia wanted to find, wanted my comment on the, the uh, what was posted here. I'm not going to mention the name of the one who posted, but this is what he posted. Ayon sa mga rebuilding tiwalag, maliraw ang aral ng sugo tungkol sa name of God, name of the church, ang latest na maliparaw, ang pagtatayo ng kapilya. Ha, ha. Okay, that's the Tagalog, Tagalog. Uh, trans, will translate it in English, and this is the English translation as best as I can do it, according to the expelled rebels. <laughs> that would be us, the expelled rebels. Uh, what Brother Felix Manalo taught about the name of God and the name of the church are wrong. And the latest is this, it is wrong to build a house of worship. Ha ha. Okay, I don't know if I translated that right in English. Was that, was that right? Let's go to the first question. Did we teach, are we saying that what Brother Felix Manalo taught about the name of God is wrong? Are we saying that? Did we ever say that? No. Well, what is the official teaching about the name of God? It's simply this. God has many names, right? Is it wrong to say that God has many names? It depends on what you mean by the term name, right? So yes, and no, it depends on what name you're referring to. Why? Because the word name in Hebrew is Shem. And what is the meaning of Shem? It has various definitions and usages in the Bible. It can refer to an actual name like Abraham. It can refer to someone's reputation or fame or glory, right? An appellation. Or it can refer to the name. And when we say the name, capital N, that's the what? The tetragrammaton. Referring to the name of God, as designation of God. That's why when you look at the Strong's definition, it is also an appellation. And so in addition to a personal name, it can also refer to an appellation. What is an appellation? It is a name or title. An appellation is a title. Like, for example, Michael Jordan's name is Michael Jordan, but he has an appellation, right? What is it? Your airness, I think, Air Jordan, LeBron James. His, his name is LeBron James, but he has an appellation too. What is it? Black Mamba, right? Oh no, that's uh, Kobe Bryant. Sorry, uh, LeBron James is what? Is he the king, chosen one? All right, an appellation. So, is it true that Yahuwah God has many appellations, many titles? Yes, he has many, quote unquote, names in terms of appellations. Because he has many qualities. And when he's given an appellation, it is to describe his quality and his character. However, when it comes to his personal name or divine name, how many is there? 
Let's read the book of Exodus 3.15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahuwah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. There is a name that is different from the Appalachians. This is his personal name. Why? Why do we know this is his personal name? Because he says, this is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered. That's why in other translations, it is his memorial name. This is his divine name. And it's called the Tetragrammaton. What is the name, the Tetragrammaton, that is mentioned here in Exodus 3.15? It is the name Yahuwah, right? Did Brother Felix Manalo or Brother Eranio G. Manalo ever officially teach what the Tetragrammaton is? Did they? I don't know any teaching like that. So how can we say that, how can anyone say that we're saying that what Brother Felix Y. Manalo taught about the name of God is wrong? when he never specifically taught about the personal or divine name of God. I see silent when it comes to that, unless I'm wrong, unless there's a name now. I would love to know what the name is from their point of view. But as far as what we believe, we believe it is Yahuwah. And so unless there's official documentation that Brother Rani Manalo, Brother Felix Manalo taught the name, the Tetragrammaton, and it's something different than We'll have this discussion some other time, okay? But we cannot say that what we were teaching, that uh, Brother Felix Manalo was wrong about the name of God. Because when he said, when he taught that he has many names, it is technically true. Because he has many appellations, but only one personal name, Yahuwah. Okay. All right, the second part, um, he said, according to the expelled rebels, what Brother Felix Manal taught about the name of God and the name of the church are wrong. Is that true? Well, I believe what Brother Felix Manalo taught about the, the name of the church is what was also taught by Brother Irani Manalo. And what did he teach about the name of the church? In the November 11, 2001 lesson, worship service lesson, okay, it says here, what unique characteristic distinguishes God's sons and daughters who were prophesied in Isaiah 43, 5 to 6? Didn't we just read that passage? Yes. Isaiah 43, 7, right? Everyone who is called by yes. my name, Yahuwah says. And then Kaerdi goes, what is the name of God by which his sons and daughters are called? And then he goes, John 17, 9 and 11. Remember that, remember that passage, John 17, 9, 11? When you look at the note, it says, we, we should notice what the Lord Jesus Christ said in his prayer to the Father. What did he pray to God? Christ asked God to care for those whom the Father has given him by saying, keep them safe by the power of your name. The name you gave me. Thus, the name that Christ possesses is the name that God gave him. And so Christ, according to Kaerdi, possesses what? A name. And what is that name possessed by Christ that God gave him? Yahusha. During that time, Brother Erdi said it was who? Jesus. If in the Hebrew, the Hebrew, the Hebrew name is Yahusha. And so according to Brother Erdi, the name that was given to Christ, the name that is possessed by Christ, is not Christ. Do you get it? 
It's something else. <laughs> it is the name that was given to Christ because the word Christ, what is that called? Is that a personal name? It's called what? Title, an appellation, right? Mashiach, Messiah, anointed one. It's a title. But the name given to the anointed one is what? Yahusha. So according to Ka'erdi, the people who will come from the far east, go to the far west, the people who will be the result or the remnant of that group, they'll be called by the name Yahusha. Okay. Well, how, what else is the uh, characteristic, the identifying marks of the people, the sons and daughters of God during our time? The April 5, 2001 lesson. What is one of the identifying marks of those who were chosen or set apart in the Christian era? They will be called by a name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And so Kaurdi quotes Isaiah 62, 1 to 2. Right? Let's go read that. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. And her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory you shall be called by a new name which the mouth of Yahuwah will name so already knew, knew all along there's going to be this new name by which the sons and daughters of God from Isaiah 43 5 to 6 will be called right what is that new name well after reading Isaiah 62 1 to 2 he says, which name was given by God for salvation? Acts 4, 10 and 12. So what is that name? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Yahushua Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. And so according to Acts 4, 10 and 12, the name. That new name by which the sons and daughters of God in the Christian era will be identified with is the name of Yahusha. Right? There's no other name given by which we must be saved. And so this name Yahusha that has been given to the Christ, that is the name that will identify the people of God during our time. However, according to Brother Irani Manalo, in the third question, how are those who are set apart by God in the Christian era called by the name of Christ? And then he cites Romans 16, 16. What does it say, what does it say in Romans 16, 16? We greet one, another, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. And so how are the people of God to be called by the name of Christ? Church of Christ, right? So this is what was taught by Brother Irani Manalo. This is what was taught by Brother Felix Y. Manalo. Is it wrong to call the people of God Church of Christ? What is your answer? No. It's not technically wrong. Right? However, it does need some refinement. Remember what will happen to the third group? Not only will it be tested, it will be refined. What does it mean to refine? What does that mean? Kind of put the finishing touches, right? The final details. Church of Christ is true. 
However, when you think of the word church, it can refer to the body of people, but it can also refer to the building. So what is more refined and specific? Assembly. Church of Christ. When you bear the name of Christ, what is that name that belongs to the Christ? Yahusha. It's the name Yahusha. That is the name of Christ, right? And so church of Christ, what is more specifically refined is what? Assembly of Yahusha. Are they the same? Yeah. It's just that one is more refined. One is more perfected. And so assembly of Yahusha is a refinement of the church of Christ. This is why even in the registration, there's still the process of perfection. You see, we're changing all the time. Why? Because we're headed towards perfection. This is why when we receive knowledge, when we receive uh, prophecy, when we receive special messages from God, what does Apostle Paul tell us? For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And in another translation in the TEV, it says, for our gifts of knowledge of, and of inspired messages are only partial. But then, but when what is perfect comes, then what is partial will disappear. You know this? And when it comes to inspired messages, when it comes to the gift of knowledge and prophecy, it comes in a progressive fashion, right? Piece by piece. It's called refinement towards perfection. This is why Church of Christ, more refined becomes what? Assembly of Yahusha. Does that make sense? And so when we get inspired messages towards perfection, towards refinement, the partial will disappear. Does it mean it's wrong? No. It was just a partial fulfillment. Church of Christ was a partial fulfillment of the prophecy. But a more complete and perfect fulfillment is what? Assembly of Yahusha. This is why... Even after the death of Brother Felix Manalo and Brother Iran Yuji Manalo, we need to keep progressing because there are people who are stuck. You notice that? After the death of Brother Felix Manalo, after the death of Brother Iran Yuji Manalo, it is as though the Holy Spirit has been extinguished. Brethren, just because Brother Felix Manalo and Brother Iran Manalo have passed away, it doesn't mean our knowledge is going to be stagnant. We cannot be stuck. We need to keep moving. Yahuwah tells us to move. Yahuwah tells us to move towards perfection, towards refinement. We cannot be stuck in the past. We have to keep moving forward. Why? Why can we move forward even after the passing of Brother Felix Manalo, Brother Irania Manalo? Colossians 1 verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why can we still progress towards perfection even after the passing of Brother Felix Manalo, Brother Irania Manalo? That's because the one who gives us complete knowledge is who? Is it Karadi? Is it Brother Felix Manalo? Who is it? It's God. Is God still alive? Yeah. Can God use instruments? Yeah, 
So what do we need to do? We need to move forward. We cannot be stuck in the past. Yes, Brother Felix Manao did his work and Brother Erdi did his work. Praises be to loving Yahuwah for using them as instruments. However, that's the past. We need to move forward. We cannot live in the past. And what Yahuwah God wants us to do is to go towards perfection. This is why the assembly of Yahusha is headed in that direction. We need to move forward rather than be, be fixed and tethered by the past. And so brothers and sisters, ask God so that our knowledge of his will will be complete. Ask God to give us spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the last part of that question, and the latest is this, it is wrong to build a house of worship. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Did we ever teach that it's wrong to build a house of worship? Did we ever teach that? No, we never said it is wrong to build houses of worship. We never said that. The assembly of Yahusha, as a matter of fact, Yahuwah willing, we too will have a place of our place of worship of our own. <laughs> That's why we never said um, it's wrong to build houses of worship. But what is wrong is this. What is wrong is when we use this passage, John 14, 12, the one speaking here is Yahusha. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. That's what's wrong. When you say that the greater works referred to by Yahusha there is the building of houses of worship. That's what's wrong. Why? Because when we say that the greater works referred to there is the physical building, what's going to happen to people? What's going to be the tendency? The emphasis will be on attendance in the physical building and their spiritual life begins to suffer, right? When you emphasize the physical and the material, what happens to the spiritual? It begins to go down. Has this happened before? Yeah, Jeremiah 7, 8 to 11. Look, you put your trust in deceitful words. You steal, is that good? Murder, commit adultery, tell lies under oath, offer sacrifices to Baal, worship God as you had not known before. You do these things I hate, and then you come and stand in my presence in my own temple and say we are safe. Do you think that my temple is a hiding place for robbers? I have seen what you are doing we see this happening nowadays too right so long as i am in the house of worship i'm good and so the emphasis is on the chapel the physical aspect of one's religion rather than the inward expression of worship to god and we don't want this to happen during our time unfortunately Apostle Paul mentioned something about the last days. What is that? In Timothy 3, 1 and 5, remember that there will be difficult times in the last days. They will hold to the outward form of our religion, but reject its real power. Keep away from such people. But they're very religious. But they have nice houses of worship. They have nice ceremonies. Bible says, but if they reject its real power, Keep away from such people. You see, when we emphasize the chapel, when we say the greater work is to build the chapel, our spiritual life begins to suffer. 
we begin to reject the real power of religion. It's not the form. It's not the physical aspect. It is the word of God, the spirit of God inside our life. And so what should be our emphasis, even though we have a place of worship of our own? Let's read the book of Peter 2, 4 to 5, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yahushua Christ. And so our emphasis is in our spiritual sacrifices, not in the physical building. This is why it's not wrong to build houses of worship. We just need to make sure the emphasis is building up our faith and building up our life on the foundation, who is Yahusha HaMashiach. Okay, All right. Another issue to address is that they're accusing us of apostatizing, apostatizing. Am I saying that right? Apostatizing the church. How many here know what the word apostasy, apostasy mean or apostatize? It comes from the Greek word apostasia, right? Which means what? It means a falling away, defection. And when you look at the Strong's definition, defection from truth. And so what is apostasy? It is a falling away from truth. So when we registered the assembly of Yahusha, is that a falling away from truth? <laughs> then how can anyone say that by registering the assembly of Yahusha is apostasy? Have we fallen away from truth? How do we know what truth is? Well, let's read the book of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the truth, rebuking error, correcting false. What is the basis of the truth? The scriptures. And so to be able to say that uh, when we registered the assembly of Yahusha, we have apostatized the church. They have to show us an example of how we've fallen away from the truth that is found written where? In the Bible. That's our challenge. You show us that in the Bible, then okay, maybe we have fallen away from the truth. Otherwise, how can you say that, right? What's the basis of that accusation? When you say, oh, you are apostatizing the church. What is an example of apostasy concerning the name? Let's read from a lesson, again, from Karadi, April 5, 2001. How did the Catholic Church turn away from the name Church of Christ? It changed the name to Catholic. It was first used by Ignatius. And so let's read the uh, reference work there. Catholic is the ancient name by which the Church of Christ has been known for 19 centuries. And this name was given to her, not for reasons of controversy, to prove something, but because it identifies her uniquely. It was first used by St. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch in Syria, who was martyred about AD 110. So how did the Catholic Church turn away from the name Church of Christ? Because they invented the name. What is that name? Catholic. Question, is Catholic in the Bible? So is that falling away from the truth? Yeah, right? How about the other part of the name uh, of the Catholic Church? Why did the Catholic Church add the word Roman? Again, from Roman uh, Catholic, the book Roman Catholic, it says, the Council of Trent 
made Roman part of the official title of the church and the council of the, the Vatican definitively after a dispute to be discussed later, adopted as the name of the church, the formula, the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church. And so the Catholic Church, instead of being called uh, Church of Christ, according to Kaerdi, it changed to Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church. This is why in this lesson, um, it, was, it mentions that the Catholic Church turned away from the name of the Church of Christ. And so it's an example of what? Apostasy, right? Now, when did the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church become the official name of the church? This course is on the Apostles' Creed. In 1870, at the Vatican Council, the name Roman Catholic Church was proposed, but it was rejected. The bishops assembled unanimously decided upon this official name, the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church. And so it became an official name in 1870. And so in 1870, that name, is that, a, is that, a, an, is that apostasy? Yeah, right? Because Catholic and Roman and even church is not there in the Holy Bible. And so the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church that is a name that is an apostas, a, a, a name that is a falling away from the truth, right? It's not of the truth, but it's a, it, it defies the truth, and it's not of the truth. And so when it became Church of Christ, when the Church of Christ was registered, is that a, a falling away or is that a restoration? of the name restoration right is it a complete restoration what is your answer not yet. not yet when is it a complete restoration when it's assembly of yahusha why do we say assembly of yahusha is a restoration and not an apostasy because assembly and yahusha are they biblical remember what is our test our test is, our test is is it in the bible Right. Is assembly in the Bible? Yeah. When Yahusha said, upon this rock, I will build my church. What word is that? In English, it is assembly. assembly. What is the name of Christ? It is Yahusha. And so assembly of Yahusha is the refinement of the restoration of the name that was given by God to his son, by which the followers of the king, Yahusha HaMashiach, are identified with. That's why assembly of Yahusha is not going to lead to apostasy. In fact, it's the opposite, right? It is a restoration and refinement of church of Christ. Okay. Now, what else is considered apostasy? Well, when you look at the definition of apostasy, it's also defection. What is defection, by the way? Because they might say, oh, the expelled rebels are defectors. And so we might be guilty of apostasy. But what is defection in terms of falling away or apostasy? Second Thessalonians 3 down to 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. 
or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what is an example of apostasy in terms of defection? When one defects, when one becomes disloyal to God and instead pledges his loyalty to a man. The Bible says a man of perdition, a son of perdition, a man of sin. Why is this man of sin, the son of perdition, associated with the falling away? Because he will exalt himself. He will sit in the temple of God. In other words, he will appropriate for himself authority that belongs to the one who sits on the throne. Who's the one who sits on the throne? Yahuwah. Who also was given a right to sit next to him on his right hand? Yahusha. And so if there are people who pledge their loyalty and allegiance other than anyone who has the right to sit on the throne, what is that called? Defection. Apostasy. And this is what Apostle Paul's warning about. There is this pattern of people following and giving their loyalty and allegiance to someone who doesn't rightly belong to the throne. Who are they? Matthew 23, 9 to 10. And don't call anyone on earth your father because you have only one father and he is in heaven. Don't make others call you a leader because you have only one leader there, Messiah. And so who are those who sit on the throne claiming authority and power that doesn't belong to them? Those who make themselves to be father in the same way God is father. And those who make themselves out to be quote-unquote, the chosen one, anointed one, and so is the overall leader. And so they're basically replacing the father or replacing who? The son. And so when someone gives their loyalty, their allegiance to some other, to someone other than the father or the Messiah, that is also called apostasy, right? This is why we need to make sure that as we follow spiritual leaders here on earth, that we do not bring ourselves to a stumbling block that prevents us from following the will of God. How do some people do that? Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore, let us offer through Yahushua a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his Name, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So the Bible tells us we should respect, we should follow our spiritual leaders. Brother Felix Manalo is our spiritual leader. Brother Irani Manalo, spiritual leader. However, the Bible tells us also our allegiance is to who? Yahushua. This is why we must not exceed our loyalty. The loyalty that we give to the spiritual leaders who lead us. It must not exceed our loyalty to who? Yahusha. Because sometimes we get stuck. Yahusha tells us to do something. And then we don't do it because we say to ourselves, but this was never taught by this spiritual leader. This was never taught by that spiritual leader. Wait a minute. Is God teaching us to do that? Is Yahusha teaching us to do that? You see, we need to make sure our allegiance is to Yahusha because if that's not the case, isn't that also apostasy? 
See, apostasy is not only falling away from the truth, not only falling away or defecting from following the true Messiah and the true Father. Apostasy can also happen when Yahusha tells us to go there, but we stay here because we're stuck in the past. You get that? Brethren, we got to move forward. If our allegiance is in the name of Yahusha, we need to move forward according to the will of Yahuwah and the will of Yahusha. Okay? All right, let's go to the last question that we have. Kajan, please answer po sana sa BHP. A lot of people claim they have the Holy Spirit and they use it as proof that they have an experience with God. Therefore, believing whatever they do is being guided by God and our Lord Yahusha. How do we know that that what or who we experienced is the Holy Spirit. Some claim they hear voices. Some say they feel it in their body. Some feel heat and sweat. Some speak in tongue. Some pray and claim what the experience is power. Some really have a broken heart, therefore cannot stop crying. What is really a Holy Spirit? And how do we know it is the real Holy Spirit and or another spirit deceiving the righteous one? Thanks, Paul, and Yahuwah bless. Okay, that's a fair question, right? Because anyone can say, well, I have the Holy Spirit. And the question asks, they say they have the Holy Spirit because they have an experience with God. What are some of these experiences that they can have with God? Maybe they hear voices, they feel it in their body, right? Maybe they start to cry. And so these are common experiences that we all have. How many here have had any of these experiences? How many here have heard voices or seen things? No? We have to understand, brothers and sisters, that sometimes we experience, uh, quote unquote, spiritual experiences, which can be accounted for by the unconscious mind. Okay? Remember, our mind has a conscious mind and an un conscious mind. What is the unconscious mind responsible for? Our non-conscious actions. And so how are, they, how are unconscious effects manifested in our life? Well, basically, the unconscious mind manifests itself in number one, felt sense, when you feel something in your body. Okay, number two, visual and auditory experiences. And number three, dreams. These are experiences that come from the unconscious mind. How many here have dreams? Huh? I think all of us have dreams, but we just forget our dreams sometimes. But there are people who have like very vivid dreams. It's called lucid dreaming. And you can develop the ability to have vivid dreams when you learn to write down your dreams and you learn how to control your dream while you're in the dream state. It's called lucid dreaming. And what is the purpose and meaning of dreams? These are unconscious communications to us. This is why when we have a dream, um, oftentimes it is an attempt by the unconscious mind to communicate something to us that we are not aware of. Okay, for example, how many here ever had a dream when they were being chased by someone or something? Ever had that dream? You know what that means? It means there's something that you're avoiding. It could be some, it could be a chore. It could be an appointment with someone. Usually that's what happened. How many here had a dream when they have no, I mean, they're out in public and they're naked or out in public and they wear underwear? Have you ever had that dream? Yeah? 
Do you know what that means? It means you are in some stress and your unconscious mind is telling you, you need to look inward. You need to take care of something in your life. How many here had a dream where they died in their dream? Yeah, it's the unconscious mind telling you prepare because of a new event or a new chapter in your life is about to develop. That's what that means. And so there are different ways by which the unconscious mind tells us and communicates certain things, felt sense, visual auditory, dreams. However, God does from time to time communicate via dreams. The book of Acts chapter two, remember we talked about that? God will pour out his spirit and will cause his people to dream dreams. This is why when people tell me about their dreams, I listen, I listen. Why? Maybe God has a message. This is why when people say, this is what the spirit tells me to do, I listen also. Because it could be what you're experiencing is a manifestation of the spirit of God. However, should we trust our heart? Should we trust all the time our mind? This is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is why when people say, I know this in my heart, you have to be careful because the Bible says the heart is deceitful. You can feel very good about something, but it doesn't mean it is good because when we use our heart as the standard, oftentimes we're going to make mistakes. This is why when people say, when people like uh, marry someone, it felt good in my heart to marry this person. But after a year, what happens? <laughs> Divorce. Because they're using their heart all the, you know, they're using their heart when the Bible says the heart is deceitful. The heart is good when it is filtered by the spirit of God. This is what we got to be careful. We cannot say just because something feels good, it's right. We got to be careful. Well, how about dreams? Is it good to share a dream? Well, this is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 20, 29. The prophet who has had a dream should say it's only a dream. But the prophet who has heard my message should proclaim that message faithfully. What good is straw compared with wheat? My message is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. So God is telling us dreams, they're not reliable. You have a dream, say it's only a dream. And so what is reliable that we can hold on to? It is God's message. Especially during our time, we have something that the people of God back then did not have. We have the written word. Because we have the written word, what should we use our standard by which to know the will of God? The word of God, not dreams. Because if we dream and it goes, it contradicts the word of God, we cannot say that's the will of God. You get it? Because the word of God is like a fire, like a hammer that breaks rocks in. Pieces. And so when we have inner feelings, when we have experiences like dreams and whatnot, and we say this is from the Spirit of God, what do we need to do right away? First John 4, 1 and 2. My dear friends, do not believe all who claim to have the Spirit, but test them to find out if the Spirit they have comes from God. For many false prophets have gone out everywhere. 
This is how you will be able to know whether it is God's spirit. Anyone who acknowledges that Yahushua Christ came as a human being has the spirit who comes from God. And so when we have a message which we believe is from the spirit, what do we need to do right away? We got to test it. We don't just say, oh, this is, this is really God's message. We got to test it. Why must we test it? Because we don't know where that idea came from unless we test it. Could it come from God? Could be. Could it come from somewhere else? It could be too. Could it come from your unconscious? It could be. This is why we got to test it. Well, how can we know if a message from the Spirit really comes from God? Bible says when it acknowledges that Yahushua Christ came as a human being. In other words, whenever the message correctly honors Yahushua HaMashiach, that is of God. But if it denies Yahushua HaMashiach, is that still of God? No more. You see, the Spirit for sure will acknowledge and honor Yahushua HaMashiach. This is why when we receive any message, we need to test it. How else can we test the message? Acts 17.11, Bible says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. How else can we test the message? We have a spiritual experience. Let's test it by looking into scriptures. Why do we need to look into scriptures? Because that's the standard. If it contradicts the scripture, it doesn't matter how vivid your image may be. It's not from God. And so what should we do as people of God? Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's words all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who can be, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. According to scriptures, how can we, or what should we do as people of God? If we truly belong to Yahusha, we need to train ourselves to distinguish between good and evil. In other words, we need to become mature. Who are those who are mature? Bible says they're now able to teach the words of God. You see, we're not supposed to be stagnant. We're not supposed to be spoon-fed the teachings of God. We're supposed to do our own work, learning from the words so that we too can be teachers of the word of God. Have we matured to that level? We need to do that, brethren. Do not just rely on the one teaching and preaching to you. We need to study on our own the words of God. Because the more we know the word of God, the more we are able to test well anything that we experience in our life. This is why we become a master of the words of our almighty God. Now, who are those who are able to test them well? In the book of Corinthians 12, 10, the spirit gives one person the power to work miracles to another, the gift of speaking God's message and to yet another, the ability to tell the difference between gifts that come from the spirit and those that do not. You know, that that's also a gift, right? 
Not many people have that gift, but there are people who have that gift. Those who are able to tell the difference between a message or a gift that comes from the spirit and those that do not. Dreams that come from the spirit and dreams that do not. We have to test it. And there are people who have that gift. And it's something that we need to pray for and ask for. Why should we ask and pray for that? In the book of Philippians 1, 9 to 11, the last biblical passage we're going to read today. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by yahusha christ to the glory and praise of god and so what should we pray for bible says let's pray that we will receive that gift of discernment to tell the difference between what is not approved and what is approved by God. We study the Bible. We ask for God's gift of the Spirit, which is discernment. When we have discernment, we will be able to test whether a message is indeed from God. And so before we pray, why don't we test the message concerning the assembly of Yahushua? We registered the assembly of Yahushua, right? Let's go ahead and test it. Is that okay? Before we pray together, let's test it. Let's test it. Is it good? Is it excellent to register the assembly of Yahusha? Well, let's go look at the test. Number one, registering as a religious organization. Is that good? Is that biblical? Yeah, because we are following the laws of the land, right? We're not, quote, unquote, coloral. Somebody mentioned this to me a while ago. I think it was yesterday when you told me about colorum. What does colorum mean again? Fake. Fake, underground, not official, right? And so when we register as a religious organization, we are practicing our faith legally and honestly. Am I right? Yeah. This is why, is it good to register as a religious organization? Yeah. I believe so. Number two, using assembly instead of church. Okay, let's put that to the test. Is that biblical? Yeah. What is more biblical, church or assembly? assembly? Assembly. We studied that already, right? Number three, identifying ourselves officially in the name of Yahushua. Is that good? Yes. Yeah. Is it the will of God? Yeah. It's in perfect alignment and fulfillment of Isaiah 43 verse 7. This is why when we put it to the biblical test, does it pass? Yeah. yeah. Is it wrong? No. Is it good? Yes. And so what should we do? We should be thankful. Because now we are officially, legally identified by the name of who? Yahusha. Brethren, there are some who are afraid of registering as a religious organization for some reason. But I tell you this, brothers and sisters, and I want you to think about this. Whenever Yahusha comes back, when Yahuwah God will send him to bring his people to heaven, if Yahusha were to say to us, why did you register in my name? What will you say to Yahusha? 
You know what I will say to him? It's because I love your name. And I want to be identified with your name. And even if it means suffering, being persecuted for that name, my king and my master, it is my great honor to be called by that name, to be identified by that name. If I'm wrong, forgive me. But I will take my chances to be identified with that name, Yahusha. Because it means we are being one with him. You cannot go wrong with the name that God has given. The name that is above all other names. It is by that name that we can find our salvation. Do not be ashamed of that name, brethren. Be happy and rejoice if you are persecuted because of that name. Because by that name, we will receive the promise of Yahuwah's salvation. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray. Everlasting Father, yes. you are so good and kind to all of us. Yes. You have given us such a precious name. Yes. We know deep inside we're not worthy. Yes. Because we are sinners. Yes. How can we even be called by that name? Yes. Help us to be worthy. Yes. To clean up our lives. Yes. To be able to live according to righteousness. Yes. Father, please help us day by day to attain the full stature of your son. Yes. We will do our best because you have given us such a wonderful gift. Wow. We were able to register as the assembly of Yahusha. Yes. We now belong to you. Yes. The prophecies have been fulfilled. Yes. We are parts of your work in these last days. Yes. And so we thank you so much. But we know we're going to be persecuted, yes. insulted because of our decision. Yes. So be it, loving Abba. Yes. You are Yahuwah, our God. We proclaim your name. Yes. And with passion, we will proclaim your work. Amen. Yahushua, our King. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us. Amen. Although we cannot yet see you, yes. we can feel your presence. You are with us, giving us encouragement. Yes. When you come back, when you reach this place, when you bring us into your heavenly abode, yes. when we yes. will get the chance to speak to you, yes. when you will ask us for what we did in your name, yes. we want to be able to make you proud of us. Yes. We want to be to make you happy of your choice of us. Yes. Help us to do that in the years ahead that remain. Yes. Help us to be loyal to you. Yes. Help us to honor your great name yes. that no matter what happens, we will accomplish our work and our purpose. Amen. Father, help us in our preparation yes. for our worship services. Yes. Manifest yourself always yes. for the strengthening of our faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to us, oh God. Yes. Thank you for showing us your will yes. throughout the study of your holy words. Amen. We ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.